Welcome to my podcast and thanks for listening. Well, my travel companions and I have just finished up an amazing European adventure. In the last five weeks, we've talked to you from London, Paris, Porto, Coimbra, and Sintra. But that leaves one great city. This episode is entitled Lisbon. See the sights, but go off the beaten path. I'm joined again today by my travel companion, Bev, and she's joining me remotely. So hi, Bev. Hi, Deb. How are you doing with the jet lag? Oh, it's getting there slowly but surely, and also getting used to the chillier weather. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a huge uh, snow mountain right outside our window right now. We spent the last 10 days of our trip in Lisbon, and Lisbon is the capital of Portugal. It's situated about three quarters of the way down the Portugal coastline. So it's a coastal city. There's about 545,000 people in the immediate city and three million in the metro area. There are so many words to describe Lisbon. Hilly, panoramic, colorful, cultural, and I would say multi-layered and contrasting. It's just a mixture of traditional historic architecture and grand new buildings, old cobblestone streets with tiny old stores and cramped stairways versus the amazing Avenue de Liberdad with the designer stores that would rival even the Champs-Élysées. Or there's the traditional mom and pop Portuguese cafes that shoulder right next to the brand new designer whole food restaurants. So this city really has everything going for it. And I found that the longer we stayed, the more it grew on me. So Bev, what can you tell us about the layout and the main areas of Lisbon? Well, Deb, as you know, our hotel was located in the modern city, just a few blocks from the Eduardo VII Park. This was a great area with lots of local restaurants, great metro access, was close to some of those tall skyscrapers Deb mentioned, and it was without a major concentration of tourists. From the park stretches the Avenida de Liberdad that Deb spoke of. This is such a lovely long wide boulevard that we enjoyed strolling down most every day, lined with high-end stores and buildings, and on one of the Sundays lined with antique classic cars to my husband's (laughs) delight. This boulevard leads you to the Baisha neighborhood. This is Lower Town, a flat touristy area with grand squares, restaurants and shops, and it leads down to the waterfront. The hill west of the Baisha is home to the Bairro Alto or High Town area. Here you find a grid of the narrow lanes where you can walk along and see the small shops of normal life and encounter more locals than tourists. Downhill from the Bairro Alto is the trendy Chiado neighborhood where you will find more upmarket stores and many, many entertainment venues. Across the Baisha is the Alfama, located on the East Hill. This is the highest point in Lisbon that you can see from anywhere around the area. It's filled with medieval streets and is topped by the famous São Jorge Castle. A fun trolley ride takes you to Belém, 
just three miles west of the center along the riverfront. Belém is a fun neighborhood and contains many of Lisbon's iconic sites, such as the Monastery of Geronimo's and the Monument to Discoveries. There are just a lot of great neighborhoods in Lisbon. Yeah, thanks. That was a really good overview. And I'm glad you mentioned where we stayed because I think that's a good travel tip when you're staying in a city for many days. You know, the old towns are really wonderful, but they can also get kind of cramped and busy. And I think, uh, like I said, when you're in a city for several days, it's nice to be somewhere that's kind of a little bit more familiar to what we're used to, I guess, just much more relaxing. Lisbon is truly really easy to navigate. The metro system is so, it's small, compact and highly efficient. And we also walked for miles and miles and uh, just had a great workout on all those hills. Lisbon has two iconic bridges that really stand out as landmarks. The first one is the Pont 25 de Abril or the 25th of April bridge. And it's named after the Portuguese Carnation Revolution, which was a bloodless revolution. An interesting fact is that even though it's just over two kilometers long, there's no walkway on it. And another interesting fact is that um, if it looks to you just like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, it probably does because it was built by the very same business group. The other bridge is Sebasco de Gama and it was opened for Expo 98 which was held in Lisbon. And the main point about that is that it's uh, about 10 miles long and it's the longest in the European Union. And on a hazy or foggy or rainy day, you just can't see the other side. And it's quite the sight because the bridge extends way out over to the water and then just disappears into the sky. So for this podcast, we're just going to leave it up to you to check on the internet or hard copy about the main sites. Bev mentioned a couple. Um, but there are a couple of castles, numerous churches like the Say Cathedral and the Basilica de Estrella, the Tour de Bellum, the Tower, and of course there's the arch that shows up in most of the Lisbon pictures. It's the Arco Rue de Gusta, the beautiful arch that enters into the pedestrian walkway, the Rue Augusta. But Ben and I would really like to tell you about the less popular or more off the beaten activities or areas to visit because that really adds spice to travel. So Bev, you start and uh, tell us your first one. Well, I'd like to tell you a little bit about some of the really nice viewpoints we found in the city. We, went, we visited four main ones. The first from the top of the Eduardo Seventh Park. When you look down that Avenida de Liberdad, the view is absolutely fabulous as it stretches down to the water and you can see the river in the distance. Next, on the west side in the Bairro Alto is the Miradoro de São Pedro do Alicante. <laughs> This that is a mouthful. This is a really large plaza where you can stand and they have a tiled map showing you what you're looking at and it gives a great panoramic view of the city. Then across from that, looking back in the Alfama, is the Miradoro de, das Portas de Sol. And we'll give you a bit of a hint here. Um, the guidebooks will tell you to go to the church and go to the right and you get to a busy plaza with great views. But we'll tell you, head to the left and you'll find uh, 
nice catwalk with a great coffee kiosk. And if you keep your eyes open, you can nab a table and it gives you a great view of the water below. And that's where our partners really learned how to save a table for us. We really wanted that viewpoint. That's right. And then finally, there's a really great panoramic view of Lisbon from the other side of the river. But um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And I want to talk about the Lisbon Metro because it is literally a work of art. And this is a great rainy day activity. Um, back in the 1950s, one artist began to um, decorate the 11 stations that existed at the time. And then as the Metro system grew, other artists joined in. So right now, the majority of stations in Lisbon have some kind of artwork on them. There's a lot of diversity there. You might find tiles or painting, cartoons, landscapes, diagrams, quotes, symbols. And on one rainy afternoon, we just hopped on a metro line and you just ride it, then stop at a station that looks interesting, uh, jump out, take a few pictures and get on the next train a couple of minutes later. And you could literally ride uh, all the four lines and just take as many pictures as you want. And it was so much fun. What's your next one, Beth? Well, continuing on the, the metro transport <laughs> system, um, we found a really fun activity was to take a ride on the vintage tram 28E. There are a number of tram lines throughout Lisbon and some of them have larger trolleys that run on them, but the 28E goes on such narrow streets winding up the hills that it has to be one of the vintage small trams. So we would recommend that you catch the tram at the beginning of the line at the Praca Martin Moniz and you just zap your Viagem Metro card for your fare. There will probably be a lineup to catch the tram, but we found that the drivers only allowed enough riders to fill the seats at the first stop. The trams come every 10 to 15 minutes, so you shouldn't have to wait too long. Although some reviews mention hour-long waits, we didn't find that. The tram winds up and down the hills and passes many of Lisbon's great sites and goes through the neighborhoods of Alfama, Baixa, Estrela and Graca. You can get off at various stops, but we found it was fun just to ride the entire route to its end at Camboarique, which itself is a great neighborhood to visit. Yeah, and there's a really neat uh, food uh, food hall at the Camp Week, which again, was pouring with rain, so we snuck in there for a really good lunch that afternoon. And I would add that um, if you do jump off that tram at any point, uh, chances are you're never gonna get your seat back because it was quite busy. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would like to talk about the aqueduct. Uh, the aqueduct is a real iconic landmark in kind of north central Lisbon. It was built in the 1700s and in 1748 it began supplying fresh water to the city of Lisbon. The entire aqueduct is about 58 kilometers long, but there's a one kilometer stretch in, like I said, central Lisbon that's 65 meters high and has 35 arches. And what the majority of tourists, and also I understand the majority of uh, Lisbon people, don't, don't recognize is that you can actually walk across it it's quite safe um, and the views are spectacular and there's a ton of uh, photo opportunities so I just thought that was a great activity.
that was a fun thing to do and they also have a small museum if you're interested mm. in the whole waterworks of the city right what's your next off the beaten path place well one neighborhood i didn't mention earlier is the park des nassos um, or park of nations this riverfront area was home to Expo 98 when Lisbon hosted the World's Fair with the theme, The Ocean and the Seas. From the Orient train station or metro station, you can stroll through the sprawling site that the city has repurposed into a lovely residential shopping and entertainment neighborhood. The Rio Tejo Riverfront Park is a great walk and you could also visit the vast Vasca da Gama Mall and the Lisbon Oceanarium. At the end of the park is the Vasco da Gama Bridge that Deb spoke of earlier. And there are a multitude of restaurants and bars and entertainment areas. So it would be a really fun time to visit it um, day or during the evening. Yeah, and we're walking through there and I could just visualize 1998 with all the different uh, countries, pavilions and all the people there. It would have been so much fun. And I wanted to round up our off the beaten path activities with the kiosks. As we were wandering around Lisbon, we found that every park and pretty much every corner had a small octagonal building, often painted green, with tables and chairs outside. And they were dispensing coffee, alcohol, pastries, and light food. So I read up about this and kiosks date back to the 1950s and the tradition was kind of the workers going home from work would stop by and have a drink called capil, which was uh, kind of a liqueur and orange drink, maybe pick up some tobacco or something. But then kiosks fell out of favor, um, but they were reinvented in 2009. And now these kiosks have become a real social place and a part of the whole Lisbon fabric, I guess you would say. And they're packed with people just sitting outside, meeting up with friends, having a drink, having a coffee. And they stay open to 2 a.m. And Bev, I just want to give you a warning that one of my goals for a future trip would be to go back to Lisbon and find out how many kiosks I can go to. And how many pastries we can <laughs> eat at those kiosks. Exactly, and just a fun thing I noted was that uh, the Portuguese spelling of kiosk is Q-U-I-O-S-Q-U-E, and I just love that, and I may never spell kiosk our way again. <laughs> There's also, you know, lots of museums in uh, Lisbon. There's art, tile, the Orient, science, history, archaeology. We just happened upon the Communications Museum, which we thought, oh yeah, this will take a few minutes, and there'll just be a couple of displays. But we went inside and it was so in-depth in its information that anything you wanted to know about the history of communications from the time it started until today when we just push a button and we're all over the world, you can find it in this museum. So it was a great finding. It was. It was um, quite amazing that there could be that much information. Although I don't think it was surprising to our travel com <laughs> companion, who for 40 years was a telecommunications tech. <laughs> he might have found him a little more interesting than us, I think. There's also uh, tons of galleries and studios and such in Lisbon. And another rainy, rainy afternoon, we happened upon a gallery with the Banksy exhibit. And you know Banksy, he was... Um, 
the first and foremost street artist and a kind of reclusive person with political, irreverent uh, views, but a great social commentary. And uh, the exhibit contained recreations of over a hundred of his works and we just spent, oh, easily over an hour in there looking at them and taking pictures and I just enjoyed that so much. It was excellent. And of course, like our last podcast, we noted that there's several day trips to take from Lisbon. Um, if you'd like, listen to the last podcast when we talked about Sintra. And we also mentioned a couple of other uh, towns that are within easy day traveling distance. So if you have any city, um, nothing's always perfect. And what would you say would be I don't really want to call them disappointments, but maybe things that didn't quite live up to what we expected. Well, yes, there there was very little to disappoint in Lisbon. Yeah. Such a great city. But two things come to mind. First of all, the guidebooks recommend a public ferry ride across the river to the small port town of Casillas. They mention great city and bridge views on the ferry. So we envisioned standing on the deck, taking in the views. No such luck. You were enclosed in a crowded boat with nothing to really see as you zip across the river. Mm -hmm. Then again, we've envisioned a small port town honoring its past as a fishing village. But no, there is a touristy street of shops and restaurants, a frigate you could tour for a price, and a long concrete riverfront wall. <laughs> Perhaps once was home to the fishing commerce. But I will say, as I mentioned earlier, the, the one redeeming thing of this trip is that you get a fabulous view of the city of Lisbon across the river. And then my second disappointment is no fault at all of Lisbon. It's merely just timing. All over Lisbon, workers were busy setting up Christmas decorations. For example, it seemed like every time we walked by the Eduardo Seventh Park, something new was being added. It looks like the city will have a spectacular Christmas display. But alas, the lights were not yet turned on. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of became sort of focused on those Christmas lights, Beth. <laughs> I did, yes. Some were planned for a few days after we left, and the majority not until early December. But we left with dreams of a return in yes. December in the future. Yeah. Now, Beth, I honestly thought when I asked you that question, you were going to talk about tarps. And remember, we were, <laughs> we were really set on trying the tarps at the originating oh. location of Vaisalema. And so we walked by the original tarp factory and we knew the lineup would be fairly long, but this lineup was double or triple and it was way down the sidewalk and I'm sure it was hours long. And we did not stand in that line for tarts because to be quite honest, we had eaten a lot of tarts in Portugal and I'm not sure that anyone was better than any others. So uh, yes, I, I don't tarts. know, um, you know, one of our companions got to the point where he was comparing the pastry of one versus <laughs> the custard of one. And I really don't know if he could tell the difference, but mm. uh, I would I would say I can't imagine they would have been that much better <laughs> than it would have been worth waiting in that lineup. Exactly. <laughs> So all I can say is that Lisbon is a city that just grew on me the longer we stayed there. Just a mixture of old or new and 
lots of hills and photo opportunities, efficient metro system, amazing food, either traditional or modern, and just lots of hidden treasures. And it's really a city that has everything. And we think it's really worth a stay and encourage you to take some time and really absorb this city. There's, there's so much more yet for us to discover next time and that's kind of a neat thing to think about too. So Bev, I want to thank you for joining me on the last five podcasts and also for being my amazing travel companion. Well, and I'll thank you for having me on your <laughs> podcast and, and likewise, we had such a great time on this trip. So thanks for listening to this podcast, and I hope you found it informative and entertaining. And just because our European adventure is done, it doesn't mean that my podcasts are done. So please check back in a week or so as I switch gears. And I think I'm going to be talking about guilty pleasures, because we all have them. So thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you later. Bye, Bev. Bye-bye. <laughs>